coming to you from Michigan, USA, and listened to by people all over the planet. Get ready to be safe and sound with Sean Sparkman. Sparkman. Never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow. Welcome to the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. I am really excited to be bringing you Anna Myers today. She is the Vice President at Grow Capitus and also a serial entrepreneur and has been for her entire life. And Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. I'm super excited to be here with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and who you are? Sure. So I was born and raised in Southern California. I am the youngest daughter of uh, my parents had five kids and I grew up in the 60s. So kind of a hip time to grow up in Southern California. Interestingly enough, my grandfather was a commercial real estate developer in L.A. So that has played an important part of my life. I didn't know him very well because he passed when I was four. I was the youngest grandchild out of 16 of us. And so I didn't get to know him very well. But the legacy he left behind and the entrepreneurial spirit has definitely influenced my life tremendously. So that's where I started out. But I didn't go into real estate when I was a young adult. I actually went into tech. I became a programmer when I was a teenager because I was a teenage parent. So I was a single parent, 18, when I got pregnant and I didn't have any help from the father. So in order to get myself through school and provide a good life for my child, I figured out that a good way to make money at that time was by programming. And I was, I was also very good at it. So I worked, you know, two days a week making, I think, $45 an hour programming various languages. And then I also went to UC Berkeley three days a week to finish up my undergraduate degree and eventually pursued my master's, an MBA degree with an MS in information systems. Tough time to be a woman in IT, a little bit of a tough time, but it is a flexible career and I was able to to make a life for myself and my child. That's really cool. You know, you don't hear a lot of people that become single parents at young ages, whether it's a man or a woman that are able to construct a life the way that you did that. And what really gave you the drive to follow through on that with the difficulties of raising a child? I guess I'm I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I have high expectations for myself and I had a high expectations of what I should be providing for my for my child. Um, not that we needed to be rich, but we needed to to I really was dedicated to providing a safe household for her that was filled with educational opportunities and you know a life that was a strong foundation for her to grow up in that that's my responsibility it's the most important responsibility i think we have as human beings for those of us that choose to be parents to provide an amazing life for your children and so that's really what held my feet to the fire is my child at that time you know that fire really put you in a position to become the entrepreneur that you are today, right? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, really always being aware that that I'm setting an example for somebody. I think a, a lot of people in their 20s can just kind of wing their way through and, and make mistakes and maybe not worry about it and just be like, oh, well. But when you are a parent and you always have a child 
looking up at you and watching what you're doing and seeing what you're doing. It's just a whole different level of accountability. I was always very cognizant of that. So I'm curious, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but let's say you never had your child at the time that you did. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'd be where you are today still? I think I would have had a, a different path. I don't know if I'd be in the same place. I probably wouldn't have buckled down as early. I probably wouldn't have gotten as serious as, as early as I did. I probably would have done a lot more travel. So one thing that's, that's kind of interesting about me is, you know, I'm, I've got a lot of science and math capabilities, you know, obviously being a, you know, a programmer, a problem solver, it's something that I'm very good at. But I'm also a visual artist. And when I was a child and a, you know, a teenager, et cetera, growing up, my parents just never knew like what the heck I was going to be because they were like, well, are you going to be an artist? Are you going to be a mathematician? Like, what the heck are you? Where are you going in life? <laughs> I didn't know. And so, so I, I probably would have pursued art as a young, you know, a young person more thoroughly, but because I had to be a, a mother providing for my child, I chose uh, science slash math so that I could make a good living. But then interestingly enough, my second career was that when the tech industry crashed, so I was a programmer and became a systems architect, had a very well-established career in the tech industry in the 90s. And the tech industry crashed in 2000. By that time, I had gotten married and had another child. I, my two children are, are 12 years apart, my two biological children. So when the tech industry crashed, I was like, I am not working for the amount of money that they're offering. So I opened up a photography studio and I pursued that art side of me for a long time. So that was my second career was I had a, a, a photography studio in the San Francisco Bay area. Yeah. How did the uh, photography business go for you? Well, it went fantastic. I loved finally being able to pursue that visual side of me. Photography is really cool because it's also very technical. So I was able to combine various aspects that, that I love. So I was able to combine my visual art side as well as the techie side because lighting, I had a, a actual had a studio in the Bay Area. So I did professional lighting in the studio as well as outside the studio. And then the cam cameras are very technical. And then I'm, I was a digital artist. I did everything in, in um, all digital cameras. So I was able to use my computer skills. And then I was also able to use my people skills. So it was a great blending of all that, but what it is not, it is, it is not a great career choice for people that want to build a scalable life. It's very bad at that <laughs> because, <laughs> because what people want is they want the photographer's eye. They want the photographer's experience, that the, the, the experience of, of that person engaging with you and photographing you. And that's not scalable. So while I really loved having that career and building that business, and I was very, very successful at it, I realized that I would never have the retirement that I wanted or be able to scale my life if I stayed in photography. So I strategically exited photography by creating a five-year plan to scale out of photography and into real estate investing. I want to take a step back. We're going to return to the scale part and how you've built your real estate business. But I want to talk a little bit about your childhood because you had mentioned that you're an artist and you were in mm -hmm. IT. And a lot of times people that are in those areas are, are at one time or are currently an introvert, right? Yeah. So I definitely was an introvert as a child. I still actually consider myself an introvert, which people 
think is crazy when they, they know me. The way that I actually started to love being around people and connecting with people is through stage acting. When I was young, my, my parents got divorced. I, I was, I think, eight when they got divorced. And so I threw myself into a local children's theater that had acting classes. I think the acting classes were like three days a week. And then they had performances on the weekend, one performance each day, Saturday, Sunday, that was all children acting in the, in the there was this couple that ran it. And I guess my parents must have paid, you know, some fee for me to go there. And it became my absolute life. I loved being at this at the theater. I loved everything about it. The um, teamwork that you created, you created your own world. And through being um, a stage actress and learning how to do improv and learning how to execute a script and that type of thing, it allowed me to see that I could get outside of myself. So if I did have fears about a situation or felt shy in a certain situation, I could become somebody else so that I could empower myself to be the person I wanted to be in that situation and not somebody who couldn't execute communication, but somebody that had the confidence and skill set to conquer any situation. So I definitely used acting and the ability to be anybody who I wanted to be. I thought, I think it's a, it's an incredible tool for people to have. And I would have actually been that, you know, you ask, you know, what would I have been? I probably would have done been an actress for a lot longer. I loved stage acting. I never liked movies or commercials. I mean, I grew up in LA. I had plenty of opportunity <laughs> to, you know, get into film or TV. But to me, that wasn't pure acting because you can always redo a scene if you're in a film. But when you're on the stage and something happens, like, you know, something falls down or whatever, you have to, you have to in, in, incorporate it into what's happening. There's no, there's no do-overs on the stage. And that to me is what made acting so pure and so amazing. And you have this group of people that are just creating this alternate reality in front of an audience. I probably would have done a lot more acting for, for my younger years, but when you are a mother, you're not gonna make money as a stage actress. So I had to can that and, as I said, go to something that, that was able to make an hourly wage that I could pay for diapers. And you know what I really like about your story is that a lot of people think that they're trapped. You know, I am what I am. I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert or whatever it is that you think you are. You took that and you added a skill set that allowed you to get outside of yourself, like you said, mm -hmm. and then use it as a way to grow and become stronger as a person. And mm -hmm. I really love that because that that's really what life is all about. And like you and I were talking a little bit before we got on the call today that we're both martial artists. Yep. And one of my martial arts instructors told me, you know, when I first started, he said, you have to live your life by the 1% rule. And what that means is that you have to get 1% better every single day. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be your punch. It could be your kick. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, your communication skills or just connecting with other people. And so yep. if you do that, guess what? 365 days later, you're 365% better. So the law of compound interest kicks in. And so I, I really love that. And I want to talk a little bit about your martial arts because I know that that background <laughs> has supported your ability to do what you've done with your life. Yeah. So I 
I started in martial arts as an adult. I was in, it was in my thirties. I was married. My husband and I liked doing stuff together. We're both very physically active people, you know, run and go to the gym and did lots of stuff. We wanted to do something together and we decided to try this martial arts class. And what really spoke to me about martial arts is at the time, and, and I'm so glad I, I did it because of this, is that as a woman, I always had a fear of how would I respond if I ever got into a, a dangerous situation, some type of physical confrontation, how was I going to respond? I, I never was trained as a fighter. I, I never, even though I had a lot of brawls with my brothers and sisters, I didn't know how to punch or how to kick or, and I just didn't know how I'd respond. And I didn't think in this case that me acting was going to be, uh, you know, acting like I could fight was going to be <laughs> successful. <laughs> So I was really um, interested in learning and martial arts becomes so much more than just learning how learning self-defense. It is a journey where you really learn so much about the depths of yourself and what you're able to endure and how much you are able to expand the mindset that it teaches you about what it is to be a human being is just phenomenal. And especially when you go through the entire process from a, you know, a white belt to a black belt or whatever the equivalent is in that style, which takes years, by the way. If you go to a really good style, it's kind of the equivalent of getting an undergraduate and graduate degree in this particular style. And it, it is a very transformational journey that you will become a better person. You'll become a better human being and your whole life will change because of it. So it's not just about learning how to defend yourself. It's about learning who you are and learning how to be human and learning how to be a better human being. So that I think that really surprised me, what I thought I was going to get out of martial arts and what I ended up, where I ended up. Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent. It is about becoming a better human being overall. And you mm -hmm. know, the amount of people in the world that are black belts is so very, very minuscule. Yeah. And the other part that's even more impressive is that the number of women that have black belts is even smaller than the number of men. And it's not by a small margin. Most women are very, you know, intimidated to jump into any type of martial arts. So what was it like for you as a woman going through the journey of becoming a black belt? I do want to say that that be, becoming a martial artist takes a lot of time. It is a lot of time. It's a lot of dedication. And, you know, at that time, I you know, I had kids and and I, at that time, I had, you know, two, two daughters that, that I was raising and I had to be able to put myself first so that I could go to those classes and, and take that. So that might be one of the reasons women have a harder time making it all the way through is because of their parenting responsibilities um, at home. It's hard for us. You know, there's so many things going on at school with our kids and evening activities. But other than that, your question about what was it like as a woman to go through martial arts? Well, I, I mean, I'm living in the San Francisco Bay Area, so it's, it's a pretty progressive area. And the other big advantage I had going for me is that my husband was going through it with me. And my husband's a phenomenal athlete, and he just is very skilled at anything he tries to do. He's a very, very, very good human being, so he's not a hothead. But if somebody took advantage of me while we were sparring and hurt me and they shouldn't have done it. Like they, they were careless in how they did it. My husband would find a way over time. He would get it back. He would, he would protect <laughs> me. He would make sure that that right. person 
got what was coming to them. But, you know, if it was like, if I got hit, but I deserved, you know, because I didn't block or because I didn't do something and, and being getting hit in that sparring lesson was learning something, that's not the type of thing that, that he would come back at. It's somebody doing something they shouldn't have, that they were careless and actually hurt me, which is a different situation no, than, yeah, uh, yeah, very, very different situation. So he always had my back. And so that always felt very good to me. But interesting. So, so my husband's black, I'm white. That, um, and again, we live in a very progressive area. But one thing that was interesting while as a martial artist is I bruise very easily. And when we spar, you do a lot of blocking and uh, your arms and, and some, you know, legs um, often get chipped up. I'm sure you're familiar with this, um, Sean. You end up getting bruises, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So as a white woman walking around with my black husband, which who knows when you're walking around, you just see two people walking around and I had bruises up and down my arms. People always looked at us like they, they just gave them the dirtiest looks. Oh, I and imagine. yeah, so that was, that was always, so there's something about being in martial arts and being a woman, you know, if for a woman to be walking around with bruises, you're going to be looked at differently than a man walking around with bruises. Although my husband didn't bruise the way I did, so there's that. But but yeah, so there's there's a lot of things. But I have a, in our style, we have a, a lot of women in the style and martial arts creates a family. And, and I still have, I mean, this has been a couple of decades now and we're still extremely tight, this large group of people. So I definitely encourage everybody to try it. Maybe we were unusual in how many women we, we had in our, in our dojo, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I've trained at a lot of different dojos uh, all over the world, actually. And it, it's interesting to see because you'll see a lot of dojos where there'll be like one woman or there'll be none. And then you'll go to another school where there's a ton. And it's right. always because of the culture that was built by the people from the very top. You know, like a lot of the schools I've been to where there's a lot of women, it's because a husband and wife have trained together for years and they open the school together and they're both teaching and so it's very incorporated and you know there's that defense part of making sure that if women come in they're not taken advantage of or hurt or injured or that kind right. of thing so i always encourage women when they're looking for it because i think everybody should do it to make sure that you're going to the right school because some schools are not the right place to go if you go right. into a school where they're training to fight in the ufc that's probably not the best school for women to go to unless that's what you're looking for right Yes, absolutely. You have to make sure that it fits your style and your body type and your what you're looking for. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a funny story that my wife will appreciate because we used to train together as well. And she was doing really well and it was in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh -huh. the two of us were rolling together and her uh -huh. arm got trapped in my gi while I was rolling. Oh, oh no. And it got stuck. And it was a, just a freak accident thing. And when I, when I kept rolling, because I couldn't oh. stop myself at that oh. point, I felt her arm break on my back. Oh, gosh. And, like, I, I flipped around and, like, oh. I, I, are you okay? And I, like, stuck my hand out and her arm, like, literally flopped into my hands. Oh, and, like, I started crying immediately. And she's, like, you know, put patting me on the head, like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. meanwhile, she's the one that's hurt. And I'm bawling my eyes out. But, oh, my you gosh. know, long, long story short, you know, when you go to the hospital and people are like, really? And it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of funny because, you know, you're talking about you and your husband. Where yeah. You know, it yeah. was a very so similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how it is. Like it's, especially when you show up at the hospital, they must have really given you a hard time. Oh yeah. Yeah. They pulled me aside, you know, did the isolation thing. And 
you know, it was just a complete freak accident that it's like a one in a million chance. I mean, yeah. I've never ever in all my years even seen somebody break their arm, much less the way that she did. Yeah. So yeah. it was just a weird thing. But, uh, you know, funny enough, of course, I, I had already been planning to propose. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this was beforehand. But it was like, you know, oh, yeah, you better propose now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was it the engagement ring hand that you broke the arm of? No, it was her right arm. Oh, <laughs> So the other arm. <laughs> but yeah, I'll never hear the end of that one. She still brings it up to this day. <laughs> she has every right to. Yep. Oh, I know. 100%. Yep. <laughs> I don't blame her. It's <laughs> kind of a funny story. Let, let me ask you a couple of questions and you can keep this to business or if you want to expand a little bit more, feel free. But what do you view as your greatest success? In life? Well, I think my greatest uh, success in life is are my children. I mean, my... I, I'm, I'm a person that, that just am very dedicated to, to being a parent. And I think children are amazing. And I'm so proud of uh, my stepchildren as well as my children. We have six daughters between my husband and I and 10 grandchildren. Wow. So, so family, I think, you know, greatest success in life is, is always striving for family. I think I've accomplished a lot in life, but I think family is more important than that. So I think that is, you know, uh, and it's, when I say success, it's always something I'm striving for. I'm, I, I am never satisfied. And I think that's the, the martial artist in us, right? To right. never, to never be satisfied, to always be striving for more, for more, for, for whatever that thing is, more success as a family, as a family person, more success as a parent. It's not about uh, the accomplishment. It's about the journey, right? A, it a is. Black, it's... A black belt just means you're a master of the basics. That's when the real journey begins. That's right. With the rest of life. That's uh, right. I love it. So I always talk about failure on every single one of my shows, and it's something that's very important to me. And I think it's important to everybody, whether they acknowledge it or not, because a lot of people are afraid of failure or they have some kind of negative reaction to it. And it's just kind of a natural thing, I think. But without failure, we can't become who we need to be in time because throughout life, we're gonna fail more times than we succeed, right? What's something that you failed at? Well, I guess I definitely had some failures early on in uh, my real estate investing career. You know, I had one, one situation where I was trying to kind of quickly flip some money, so to speak. And I was using this connection in Las Vegas, this, this realtor, sorry, not Las Vegas, in Reno. And this was 2000, this was 2007. And I was, I had bought some land that this guy, he had this process that he did. You, you bought, bought a parcel that had like an old farmhouse on it. You scraped the old farmhouse and then you reparceled the, the land into like six lots and then you sold them to a developer. So that was like the play. And I was trying to just flip some money so that I could buy something bigger, like buy, you know, a, a larger, like, you know, duplex or something. So I said, let me just turn this money. Well, it turned out that the guy was not a good guy. Uh, even though I did the whole process, I ended up losing most of my money in that process. That The guy ended up going to jail. So I think my failure there, even though I did everything I was supposed to do, my failure was not doing my due diligence to understand who it was I was actually who this guy was. So I failed at doing my, my due diligence. And I obviously I failed at, at flipping that, that money. So uh, yeah, I had a, a few failures in early on in real estate investing. Yeah. And that gave you the hindsight because it's always 2020, right? To, right. To know how to do your due diligence in the future, I imagine. 
Yes. And, and my other real estate failure had to do with picking the wrong market and not recognizing the importance of the insurance market for that market as well. So data points, not human points, but those ones were related to market and data. And I didn't do enough due diligence there. And I didn't negotiate the deal correctly. So I definitely learned, had learned a lot of lessons on that one as well. Well, I'm glad that we've made the full circle back to real estate because obviously that's what your main focus is nowadays. It is. And you had talked earlier about scalability. And mm -hmm. I know that that's why you went to the real estate market. So can you talk a little bit about what you did and how you created where you're at today? So as I, as I had alluded to earlier, as I, I was decided I needed to, it was obvious that I needed to exit my photography career. I'd always been doing real estate on the side because my, you know, my, my grandfather having had that, he had an estate that as grandchildren, we got, you know, small pieces that we had to then do 1030, the equivalent of a 1031 was actually a 1033 in this, in these cases. And so I always had like some, some real estate investing going on on the side. Once I was a very successful photographer, I realized how, how much they were charging me in taxes. And I was very not cool with how much taxes I was paying. I felt like I was just working for the government. So what I realized is that in order to control my taxes, I needed to do strategic real estate investing so I would get the depreciation. And so in realizing that, I also realized, hey, I can actually take this to the next level and this really should be my next thing because there's so many advantages of real estate investing, which my grandfather you know, certainly showed us he actually started out with nothing. He started out flipping and became a self-made millionaire back in the day when it actually meant something to be a millionaire all through real estate investing. That's so really cool. I knew that it was a real thing and that he had built this generational wealth through real estate, commercial real estate specifically. So I said, okay, that's, that's going to be, that's where I need to go. So I strategically started educating myself to a much higher level than I had been. As I said, I've been dabbling, I've been having some failures. So I said, if I'm, I've got to get serious at this, I've got to really, really educate myself. So I started pulling back days at the studio because I had it really dialed in at the studio so I could make as much money as I was making, even though I was working less days. And then the days I wasn't working, I was spending full time doing education for real estate investing, looking at different markets, taking classes, et cetera. So that was my five-year plan. I actually ended up exiting at four years and closing my studio because I found multifamily. I was going about it with my husband, trying to look at single family houses and going towards there's a, there's a concept where, you know, you buy 10 single family houses in each of your names because you can only get 10 residential loans before you have to go commercial. So that would be 20 and we'd have 20 houses and, you know, building that way. But I never liked how single family houses, you don't control the value of the house because the value of your house, even though you're renovating it, is kind of based on what your neighbor's house is worth. You don't really control all of the marbles in that game. So once I realized that with commercial real estate, it's not valued that way and that you do actually effectively control, as long as you're choosing the, your markets correctly, you do effectively control the value of your asset, of your building. Because the in an apartment building, if you have two apartment buildings that are next to each other, they don't look at the apartment building next door and say, well, how much is that one worth? What they do is they look at it as a business. Each of those is an independent business. 
and the value of the building is based on how much income that you know what is your net operating income so your income minus your expenses is your net operating income of the business it's the net operating income is what your uh, the value of the, the asset is based on divided by the market cap rate so that to me made so much sense and then the fact that you can control that income right i can i can increase the rents and thus i can increase my income i can decrease my expenses by making different choices about my vendors or I can challenge my taxes or I can find different insurance people. There's so many ways I can reduce expenses and there's so many ways I can increase income. Thus, I have the ability to control the value of my building. So once I realized that, I was all about the scalability of commercial real estate, specifically multifamily, because I'm, I'm very focused on residential in that people always have to have a place to live. So I'm not right now investing in retail. I'm all about residential and self-storage, which is kind of associated with, with residential. And when you were getting into real estate, like I know you said you were always kind of dabbling in it and you have family history, but when you were really starting to take the first steps towards the commercial and the multifamily, what did that look like for you? Well, I listened to a lot of podcasts, I'll tell you that. So. <laughs> So uh, lots and lots of podcast listening, uh, read lots of books that kind of set up a plan for myself about how many hours I'd be, be doing it. And then I was taking classes. I was interacting on, you know, Bigger Pockets, which is a, a website. So there's lots of different forums out there that you can start interacting. Oh, and going to meetups, going to local meetups. And then it was a class that I took. It was a boot camp that I took on multifamily that was the real game changer for me. That's where I met my business partner, Neil Bawa. He was teaching a boot camp on how to buy multifamily apartment, you know, how to buy apartment buildings. I took that course. It was an e-course. And during that time, so six online classes, live classes. And during that time, he said to the class uh, that he was looking for somebody to write a deal analyzer. And so he wanted volunteers. So that's basically like a spreadsheet that you use to analyze the value of an apartment building, right? And so I virtually raised my hand. I'm like, programmer here, like I got this. Are you kidding me, an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet? But of course, various people raised their hands virtually as well. So we got a phone call with Neil as part of our package for the class. And so there was a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one with him. So on the very first thing I said to him is like, Neil, I volunteered to be, you know, to write that deal analyzer with the team. And I just want to make sure because no one got back to me and I want you to know my background. I was a programmer. I led huge teams of programmers to write, you know, create these big platforms. And, and he says, great, you're my lead. And I'm like, okay. And so he's like, yeah, you're my, you'll be my lead. So I became the volunteer lead of this volunteer army of people that were writing this deal analyzer. Some of the people really had, didn't even know Excel. They weren't programmers. They didn't have any financial background. So it was a, a mishmash of people. And I started coordinating these people to create this deal analyzer. And I was emailing Neil regularly to update him on what our progress was. It was about two weeks into it that Neil replied back to me and said, I just want you to know, I don't care if the deal analyzer ever gets made. I want to work with you. And wow. I was like, wow. Yes. I mean, this guy was like, first of all, he's brilliant. Uh, if any of you aren't familiar with Neil Bauer, he's he is a thought leader in the commercial real estate space and just always pushing the boundaries. He, his background is in tech like mine. So we think very similarly in, in how we approach real estate and his 
his the way that he uses a data-driven approach resonated so strongly with me. So I was like all in. So I started volunteering for him to, you know, obviously I was writing the deal analyzer and then he started having me help him analyze deals of projects coming in and kind of giving me more and more things to do. In the process of doing that, I guess he started seeing that I, I had a pretty wide skill set because I've done so many different businesses. I've run my own business. I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. So he started giving me various things to do and I was able to do it. So within a few months, I guess I started working with him in February. He offered me to go full time with him. Again, this is all like not a W2 story because I, I work for my, my own company. I just get paid on projects, so I don't get a salary. So I, I closed my studio in August. And I think by November, I was the vice president of the company. So <laughs> yeah, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? Everything happens for a reason. So yeah, so it was a, quite a fast trajectory. Neil was exiting from a previous partnership, which I wasn't aware of his previous company. He was, you know, changing that partnership out and building his own company. So I didn't know that when I first, you know, took his boot camp. but that's why he was, uh, looking for somebody to write a deal analyzer is because he was looking for an underwriter. So not only did I become that underwriter, but then I became his business partner and the vice president of the company in the process. Since then, we are, I don't know, about 19 months into this, you know, when the company was officially opened and we are at over 2000 units that we have acquired in seven different states, 12 projects. So wow. I, yeah. That's, that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, $250 million of, of, of value has been created in that time frame with our investors. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, we are running a little short on time and, you know, I had a lot of questions planned for you, but, you know, these things always turn in a different direction and I love it. <laughs> but, yeah. But before we go, I do have a couple more questions. Sure. First off, I'll try to be brief on my answers. <laughs> <laughs> Your answers have been great. What are you curious about going forward in life? Oh, well, I will tell you that I'm curious about travel, my end game, uh, and travel and artistry. So where do I want to be? People often say to me, especially because of you know what I've accomplished in real estate in such a short time, they say, well, what do you want to be in five years and they're surprised when I tell them my answer is I want to be a vagabonding artist. That is what I want. I want to be able to use my passive income to travel the wor world and live life as a visual artist. So I'm curious about the world. I still have a lot of curiosity about people and places in the world and I, I feel maybe because I was such a young parent I didn't travel as much and so I, I definitely am curious about the world. Wow, that's an interesting thing that you want to do. You want to be a vagabonding artist, kind of an interesting thing considering all of your background and your businesses that you're building. And you just want to go live uh, an aloof life, which is cool. Yeah, there's a great book called Vagabonding. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. So uh, mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an interesting book to look at. It's kind of like the precursor to Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. In fact, in fact, he, you know, read that book extensively. But it's all, you know, that type of like lifestyle by choice, like lifestyle design. And that that is the whole reason for me in real estate is because I can scale my life to create a life that I want. I don't have to live in the Bay Area. I don't I mean my kids are all grown. I, I want to be able to travel the world and 
go live by this grandchild or that grandchild and experience life where they live for a while and travel and go to the next one and then spend some time in other areas of the world and just, you know, have a life. Yeah, live your best life, right? Live my best life. Yep. I'm curious yeah. about my best life. I love Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week. I've listened to his podcast forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, interesting cat, right? Wanted, yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the reasons I wanted to do this in the first place was, uh, you know, a little bit of his inspiration. Yeah. Uh, but before we go for the day, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? <laughs> How can people get in touch with me? Yeah, well, that's actually the next question. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, I always end on that. So if people want to learn more about you, they want to get in touch with you, find out who you are, where do they go? Well, there's two businesses that I'm involved in with Neil. One is our, our syndication side where we have investors that invest with us and the, our, our projects, which are we pick using technology and data-driven strategies. That is GrowCapitus, G-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-U-S.com. So growcapitus.com is that side of the house. And the other side of the house is for people that want to become educated in how they can buy apartment buildings. And that is multifamily university. I teach underwriting as well as asset management. I do lots of webinars. So we're, we don't have a podcast, but we do webinars. So probably every week you can join me for free online and listen to our, our wonderful guests that are coming and ask questions and hear my voice lots and lots as we help people learn how to be financially free themselves and be an active investor. Not everybody wants to be passively invested in an apartment building. Some people want to do it themselves and we'll teach you how. That's awesome. And as always in the show notes, you'll find links to be able to find Anna. We'll make sure that we include those for you. Thank you very much for listening today. And Anna, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. It's been, it's been really fun hanging out with you. Yeah, it's been a great time. And for those of you that are listening, this is the Safe and Sound Podcast. My name is Sean Sparkman, your host. As always, we're trying to build that safe and sound lifestyle. And so we're bringing you people from all over the country and hopefully one day all over the world that can teach you about different subjects so that you can really add to your knowledge and experience every single day. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to Safe and Sound Radio with Sean Sparkman. Sean Sparkman. If you have questions or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, contact Sean at 313-246-9278 or visit the website at www.safeandsoundretirement.net. That's www.safeandsoundretirement.net. I must leave.